Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. How's your journey to net zero going? Need some help? Perhaps a competition with a financial incentive? Really what we want is that farmers are producing and doing projects which do have a sustainable objective both from a technical point of view but also from a financial point of view as well. We'll hear from Simon Thelwell at the School of Sustainable Food and Farming today. We'll also get to meet Lizzie Wilson, the new Chief Exec of the National Pig Association. At MPA we are good in a crisis and that, that's what we specialise in really so yeah it's, it's needed now more than ever. Plus we've cropper market reports, agronomy advice, the week's weather and it's Love Lamb Week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Do love a bit of lamb, but more on that in a moment. First, let's talk about working towards net zero. Have you made progress? Do you have ideas in that direction that would benefit from a bit of financial help? The School of Sustainable Food and Farming has launched a competition to help us along the road to net zero. Senior lecturer Simon Thelwell, before we hear about the competition, could you tell us a bit about the school first? It's a collaboration. It's an industry collaboration. It was set up with Harper Adams, Morrison's, McDonald's and the NFU. So the aim of the school really was to try and bring together experts and academics from across the food industry and across the food supply chain to work together to have a common understanding, I guess, to try and unpick what net zero is, to try and unpick what sustainability is to make it feel like it's something that that all farmers could get involved with. Okay, and to that end, we have a competition, the Journey to Net Zero. Tell us about that. We do. So we've launched a competition uh, which is called the Net Zero Challenge Competition. Um, I think we all know really that farmers learn and consider change by seeing in practice what's happening out there. So one of the sort of key reasons really for launching the competition was to try and encourage farmers out there that are doing quite innovative things, but which through the competition we can then showcase and we can actually show other farmers that, you know, there are things that they can do. Maybe there are things that they can do that don't cost very much and that just need that practical application. And hopefully that will inspire other farmers who maybe haven't started their journey to net zero yet to consider perhaps some of these options. Simon, net zero is a term that's banded around all over the place and there seems to be numerous different dates as a target for achieving it. What's yours? Um, Our Harper Adams target is 2030. But of course, we're working with an industry which has different targets. So, for example, the NFU target is 2040. And I think, you know, it's really important for farmers to understand the supply chains that they're involved with um, because they might have their own targets towards net zero. But it's not something that's going to happen overnight we appreciate that it's going to take time we really do want farmers to start thinking about the challenges of sustainability now because we can't wait eight to ten years or 20 years to make that happen those changes especially on farms which you know have quite long production cycles need to happen and need to be thought about now and what's the nature of the competition what has somebody who enters got to do the competition is there to showcase things that are happening already. So farmers may well have done something which they think is working um, and they would like to enter a competition to secure a little bit of finance to maybe take it on to the next level. Or it can be something that they haven't thought about yet, but they're really keen to get involved with, really keen to do, and they just need a little bit of funding to help them to kickstart it. What we're asking farmers to do really is to tell us a little bit about their current business, to tell us about their sustainability goals uh, and ideas, So maybe talk a little bit about the initiative that they're thinking that they'd like to do or they'd like to develop. 
and to, I guess, contextualize it really from a sort of, uh, you know, what is the project about, but also thinking about the finances. Really what we want is that farmers are producing and doing projects which do have a sustainable objective, both from a technical point of view, but also from a financial point of view as well. Now, talking about financial, you mentioned there that there's money on offer to help with uh, moving towards net zero. What kind of prize are we talking about? So we have a, a prize fund of £50,000 available and that pot it will be broken down. So the minimum uh, prize that we offer is £5,000 and the maximum that we're going to offer on, on this particular prize fund is £20,000. And what's the timeline for this in terms of entries and where can we go for more information? So the competition is live at the moment. It's on the Farmers Guardian website, which is fginsight.com forward slash net zero competition and entries close on September the 30th. All right. Well, good luck. Let's hope you get lots of entries. Simon Thelwell at Harper Adams and the School of Sustainable Food and Farming. Thank you for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you very much. Everybody's got their favourite meat. For me, it has to be roast lamb or a shank or a chop or a curry. Really don't mind. Love pork and beef too, but lamb's my favourite. Anyway, this week I've got the perfect excuse to indulge myself even more. It's Love Lamb Week. Phil Stocker, National Sheep Association Chief Exec. Good morning. Welcome to the farming programme. Good morning and thank you for asking me on. That's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you again. Love Lamb Week is on then until Wednesday. Been going a few years now, hasn't it, Love Lamb Week? So it started about eight years ago and it was initially um, created by uh, Rachel Lumley, a, a sheep farmer up in Cumbria, uh, who very sadly passed away um, 18 months ago now. Uh, but, you know, she left a really long lasting legacy, which, um, you know, is, is, is fantastic. And it allows us to have an annual celebration now of something she was passionate about, which is about local food and our sheep industry. And it's turned now into an annual campaign that allows us to get behind the celebration of a seasonal time, you know, when we've got lots of really good quality lamb coming onto the market. To be able to get out and talk about that and celebrate it is really is something really special. So let's talk about the campaign. What's actually happening in Love Lamb Week? There'll be lots of things happening on uh, lots of levels. First of all, there's going to be a lot of social media activity and we will have some of our National Sheep Association Next Generation Ambassadors that are going to be very active on social media, talking about what they're doing and talking about how great a a product British lamb is. Um, And then at a a market end as well, the supermarkets are more heavily involved in in this than they have been previously. So we will see some supermarket promotion of of British lamb, which is really, really welcome. But then on a more local level, there's lots of more local initiatives where we've got farmers that are doing promotions through farm shops, one fairly local to us who is um, supplying lamb to a local pub and the pub is uh, changing the menu to uh, a whole range of different lamb-based recipes. They've done that for a good number of years now and whenever they do it, it goes down a a treat you know they you know people like it and uh and the other good thing about all of this of course is it, it, it lasts beyond that that week as well you know if you get um pubs or hotels that are involved in these sorts of things um they don't just stop at the end of the week you know they find out they, they do learn how uh you know what a tasty um, product lamb is and they'll keep it on the menu on an ongoing basis so i think really just to talk about it you know farmers who would uh you know wouldn't sell uh, land direct and don't get, have that normal contact with the marketplace i guess the big thing is to talk about it you know i think the more noise we can make about this any farmer can do that in their local community through their friends and their you know people that you know that may not be farmers just to let them know that love land week is is going on and to talk again about how uh, tasty and how nutritious and how sustainable 
uh, a product British lamb is. And where yeah. can we go for more information if we want to get uh, involved and support this, Phil? You can come to the NSA website. Uh, there'll be links direct there to, to what's going on. So the NSA website is a good place to go uh, or the HDB website. Lovely. Well, I wish you all success with a great campaign. Phil Stocker, National Sheep Association Chief Exec. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you very much. Time to get the oven on. I think Love Lamb Week continues until Wednesday, the 7th of September. And time for some agronomy advice now with Sean Sparling. Good morning, Sean. You love a bit of lamb? Yes, morning, Steve. Yeah, I do indeed love a bit of British lamb, but it has to be British. I think lamb from anywhere else, you can taste it. It doesn't have the texture or the environmental credentials, which are so important these days. So, yeah, British lamb, absolutely lovely. Bit more weather then, last seven days. No more rain, but warm, sunny days. And if anyone was in any doubt as to whether the yellowing in their sugar beet was anything other than nutrition, thanks, of course, to that hot and droughty last couple of months, then that rain three weeks ago and the half an inch of rain at the end of last week should have made up your minds. Sugar beet has gone from showing real yellow chlorotic leaves to being lush and green once again as that beet grabbed hold of a long-awaited drink and the moisture in the soils then enabled that sugar beet to get hold of the nitrogen and the other nutrients that were all tied up in that dry dusty stuff underneath them huge difference then in the last seven days and of course with sugar beet fungicides having gone on too most of them like Escolter and Priory Angle etc based around strobilian chemistry you'll have also had that strob effect too that physiological green that physiological boost to get these crops to green up too. But all in all, the sugar beet, I think, looks as well now as it has done all season, thanks to that drink over the last few weeks. Disease levels had, as I said last week, started to increase. There seems to be more powdery mildew out there than rust, but the fungicides that we've been putting on, the Escolta, the Priory, the Angle, and things like sulphur, they will easily dry up that mildew. Socospora also being reported, not much of it out there yet, but it is able to be found and it will come. We do have the right conditions for it now we of course now have registration for caligula which is better than our existing armory against sacospora but it's not a miracle cure it's not perfect so still very important to time these fungicides well the second fungicide timing is between four and five weeks after the first when the conditions and the disease pressure dictate that you go out and do so watch those harvest intervals as well of course check the label speak to your advisor so monitor those crops closely and don't miss the opportunity to drop in a bit of manganese and magnesium it's cheap but it's very very effective at just making sure these healthy plants remain so and this sugar beet needs to do some serious growing now over the next few weeks it needs some root putting on and it needs some serious sugar putting on so plenty of sunshine and a few more wet days are required yet factory will soon be open we can't believe that it's got to that time of year already can you Oilseed rape, starting to see a few issues now. Slugs and cabbage stem flea beetle, of course, topping the pop. Slugs showing up all over the place. Heavy land, heath land, anywhere, really. Um, you just have to look for them. Tiny little two mil fellas up to the 10 mil grey field slugs. And if your crop's struggling to come through, just have a dig down. You may well find they're taking these plants before they come through. Just be alert and be vigilant. They can take a crop of oilseed rape almost overnight, particularly if they're small, backward, dry, emerging crop now we're seeing it once again where we've got less than ideal seed beds out there there's plenty of them about after that hot dry summer particularly where a leg and discs have been the main method of establishment and 
where relatively open and cloddy runs where the seeds are are the result and it's always going to be worse for slugs when we leave gaps for them to move about in they don't burrow they use the spaces we leave them so there are fewer issues in drilled fields that have been rolled but even in those fields we're having some problems too so get your traps out treat them accordingly cabbage stem flea beetle as well that activity as anticipated i suppose has increased over the last seven days some areas around lincoln the bottom of lincoln north of Newark around Horncastle on the Wold seeing a marked increase in cabbage stem flea beetle activity and remember pyrethroids are not the be all and the end all you have to time them right they're not residual therefore if you see the damage from cabbage stem flea beetle and you feel you need to treat because the damage is so great then 50 mils of something like lambda psi halotrin that's the maximum you can apply from uh, cabbage stem flea beetle in the autumn and if you do need to treat the adult cabbage stem flea beetle have to be present in order for you to control them it's not residual so we've seen far better results from going just after dark get out there with a torch in damaged fields see if they're active if they are that's the perfect time to treat but then again if they're active in the field at any time of the day that's the time to treat they have to be there it's no good seeing the damage in a field and immediately getting the sprayer out and going and spraying if those adults are sheltering from intense sunlight from wind from rain etc so speak to your advisor and just keep your eyes peeled there's still an awful lot of all seed rape to emerge in most of my fields so you know like the sugar beet i'm hoping that the all seed rape just puts a spurt on and gets on with it we do seem to see a peak of cabbage stem flea beetle around this time of year in most seasons so fingers crossed we all get away with it without too much damage and the pressure is not too great and of course it's the larvae that do most of the damage so we have to hope that we can control those parents with a combination of pyrethroids and ipm and let the little predators do their job too before they get to the point of laying eggs hell of a lot more rape in the ground this autumn than we've seen for the last three or four years really for various reasons so far more oilseed rape to worry about and i'm sure that there will be people out there whose thoughts will be turning to drilling wheat soon yeah that's what i said i know i shouldn't say it out loud it just encourages but you know for non-black grass sites only i would really urge i think you're plenty early enough at the moment anyway and make sure you pick a variety that's suited to be drilled in mid-september that's early drilling. Nobody would go drilling before mid-September, would they? The mad fools. I know we have a new active ingredient in Luximo for blackgrass and ryegrass control in particular, but it's not a magic herbicide. You've still got to delay the drill. You've still got to use glyphosate to take out a flush or two before you go out there drilling. Please bear that in mind when you start thinking that you soon need to be on please bear that in mind so anyway look let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years the pig sector like many in farming but perhaps one of the worst has had really hard times over the last couple of years brexit fallout processing bottlenecks and heartbreaking large-scale culls have all taken their toll We've spoken in the past to Zoe Davis, who was, until recently, the National Pig Association's chief exec. Zoe's moved on to the NFU, and we wish her well, to be replaced by Lizzie Wilson, who I'm delighted to welcome to the farming programme for the first time. Could we start, Lizzie, with a bit of a potted history of you and how you got where you are? So, originally a dairy farmer's daughter from Warwickshire, um, grew up on a uh, tenanted council dairy farm, 
decided that I wanted to go to Harper Adams, did a four year course there. Um, so I did a Bachelor of Science Honours in Agriculture with Animal Science. And as part of that course, you um, had to do a year's industrial placement, which is great because, you know, you leave with not only a degree, but you leave with a year's commercial experience as well. And I decided that I knew cows. I didn't really like sheep or chickens um, and decided that I wanted uh, to try my hand in the pig sector. So did a year up in Aberdeen for what was then Grampian Country Pork. And although I didn't massively enjoy my year up there, I did really enjoy working with the pigs. Um, and that's what I decided I wanted to do from there on in. Then um, went to work for BQP on their trials site near Snape in Suffolk um, and ended up specialising more in environment and then sort of liaising with Waitrose, their dedicated retailer, and looking after their third party farmers who supplied into the Waitrose supply chain. Uh, then went to work for Elanco for a very short stint, a bit of a stepping stone really. And then the MPA job became available and it was what I'd always aspired to do. Uh, so jumped at the chance and Zoe was made general manager at that point, And then I uh, secured the role as regions manager. And that was 2011. So, yeah, that's how I got here. And here you find yourself in the top job replacing uh, Zoe, who's gone off to the NFU. And obviously yeah. we wish her well. So a lot of experience, not just in the pig sector, but within the National Pig Association as well, which is clearly going to be necessary uh, given the situation that not just the pig sector but agriculture finds itself in and I noticed on one of your press releases that you specialize in crisis management <laughs> that should stand you in good stead at the moment shouldn't it absolutely I mean I that that really refers to um, part of my policy area is dealing with animal rights whether that's exposés um, whether it's just general behaviour or general um, social media presence, etc., whatever that entails, um, liaising with retailers and processors and producers, gathering intel, etc. And, you know, at MPA, we are good in a crisis and that, that's what we specialise in, really. So, yeah, it's, it's needed now more than ever. Is the sector still in the same kind of crisis mode? I mean, you've had Brexit to deal with, we've had the fallout from Brexit anyway, prices, bottlenecks with processing and so on. Quick update, where are we at the moment? We're in a very similar position, sadly. Prices are much better. They now sit just under £2 a kilo, which, you know, is unprecedented. But sadly, input costs are way above £2 a kilo. So, producers are still losing money per pig. I think the HDB average is £30 a pig. And then you've got the energy crisis looming as well. And, you know, producers are quoting us that their bills will have quadrupled in price. And how on earth you deal with that on top of, you know, they've been losing money for they're coming into their eighth consecutive quarter now. And like you say, you know, we've dealt with Brexit. We've dealt with Covid. We've dealt with two backlogs of pigs. They're now hemorrhaging money um, and have been for a very long time. And they're tired. They're absolutely exhausted from battling with, you know, these consecutive challenges one after another. 
and you look forward and there's not that much light at the end of the tunnel either. I mean, I know pig prices are good and supply will really start to tighten from sort of September onwards. We've lost about 15 percent of the sow herd and there will be more. You know, I think producers were hanging on until September to see if this hole in supply really pushed pig prices up and made it worth their while to stay in. So there'll be some making that decision. Once that starts to feed through, obviously, just your standard supply and demand prices will tighten. We're seeing it across the EU as well. Supplies tightening there, that's pushing their prices up and that always helps our prices too. But then demand for meat is very flat at the moment. You know, the cost of living crisis, everyone's watching their pennies. I mean, pork is far better priced in comparison to other proteins. But, you know, general meat consumption is down anyway. And, you know, if we want to recoup some of the costs, to cover cost of production, then prices in store are going to have to go up. And, you know, that's potentially going to inhibit sales even further. So it's kind of sat at the precipice again at the moment, waiting to see what happens with regards to supply prices. We've obviously got a new PM coming in at the beginning of next week. And, you know, if we make assumptions as to who it's going to be, there'll be a reshuffle. We'll have new ministers, potentially lose Victoria Prentice, um, who's been extremely supportive um, and we're very thankful for that. But that means as a sector, we have to start all over again. You know, we have to engage with those ministers. We have to brief them. We have to identify, you know, their areas of interest. We have to try and flag our areas of concern. And we're shouting against the backdrop of you know, every other agricultural sector at the moment as well. You've certainly got your work cut out. Wish you well for the challenge. Lucy Wilson from the National Pig Association, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. To the markets now, starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. A slightly quieter one for the bank holiday with just sheep on offer. See an SQQ of 242.14 pence per kilo with an all-in average of 242.91 pence per kilo. Top spot goes to Jim Birkwood of Thorsby at £130 per head, while the pence per kilo is topped by EJ Benj at 276 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool use, very similar number forward and very similar trade, with an all-in average of £86.50. Topping for TR Gladwin of Kettleby at £128. Finally, store sheep and just a handful of lambs which were pulled from the prime section as they didn't just carry enough flesh. Topping for S Morley of Market Stainton at £72 per life. That wraps the uh, weekly market report up. A reminder that tomorrow, Monday the 5th of September, is our first store cattle sale of September with 60 plus store cattle entered of varying ages and sizes already. And then on Friday the 9th of September is our second uh, store and breeding sheep sale. Entry still open, so to discuss all marketing options, whether it be for the prime or cool sections, all the store sections, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Layoff Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with the weekly grain market review, Open Fields, Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, everyone. September is upon us, but I'm clinging on to summer for as long as I can. We started the week playing catch-up on the back of a bank holiday. Turbulence seems to sum up the week, with Tuesday seeing an early morning £8 rise to then close only £3.50 up. The primary driver here is increasing Black Sea tensions with news of a large-scale Ukrainian counter-offensive. 
We could also see later in the week that London Liffey was helped notably by a weakening pound. Important to remember that as we are set up to export grain, a weaker pound means that our internal values rise. We heard some more negative news coming out of Ukraine in the middle of the week, with their second largest port being hit by Russian shelling, causing a fire that still hadn't been put out at the time of recording. Such actions further raise questions as to the longevity of Ukrainian exports and, more to the point, their ability to backfill portside facilities to allow vessel loading. Doubts are now being raised as to whether the export corridor agreement will be extended beyond the initial 120-day period. Russian wheat prices are now competitive, which should improve their export pace, which is still circa 10 million tonne below the USDA's forecast. Bubbling elsewhere and something worth keeping an eye on is the news of possible fresh lockdowns in China. This could have a negative effect on commodities as we would see a shift in demand. We could also see a negative driver on wheat playout with lower FOB offers from the Black Sea. This is probably to encourage buyers that are currently staying away from these waters. Consumers and farmers alike are coming to terms with the surging costs of energy and input prices. What effect this will have on demand and production is open to wide debate and speculation, which unfortunately will not make decision making any easier. Maltings and merchant stores are getting full now and slowly digesting what will probably be a record crop of spring malting barley. Malsters only want to buy from January onwards at this point. Malting premiums over feed have reduced further, so about £20 for October, up to £25 in the new year. French Matif oilseed rape fell lower again in the first part of the week, with a larger soybean crop in South America and a return to normal yields in Canada. Matif rapeseed rebounded on Wednesday on technical buying as the price hit the perceived support level and traders re-entered the market. The domestic market remains supported by good demand, a tight supply and few sellers. Prices for this week, feed wheat, September 249 to 259, October 252 to 262, December 254 to 264. Milling wheat premiums around the 40 to 45 pound mark. Barley, September 228 to 238, October 229 to 239 and January 23, we're looking at 231 to 241 pounds. All seed rape, September 492 to 502, October 495 to 505 and November 498 to 508 pounds. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Alice. Well, it looks like some of the wet stuff is on the way this week after a mostly dry and warm Sunday with a light southerly and highs in the mid-20s Celsius. Monday brings some welcome rain. Light southerlies again. Indeed, the wind, such as it is, stays southerly pretty much all week and highs around 23. Patchy sunshine and rain for the rest of the week, possibly three or four mil each day and highs around 20. Well, that's it for this week. Next week on The Farming Programme, we'll talk living mulch and electric Land Rovers. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.